my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Today, we're so excited to welcome American entrepreneur Cindy Eckert to the show. Cindy is the mastermind of the female version of Viagra, Addie, and she's also the founder of The Pinkubator, a platform to help women entrepreneurs start their companies. One of the things I love about Cindy is that she's not just an entrepreneur, but she's also an entrepreneur who truly lifts up other women around her. And I even, I mean, I know you've met her many times. I've only met her once, but I feel such a connection to her ever since that dinner we had. And I feel that she is just, she talks the talk, she walks the walk, and she really means it when she says that she wants other women to succeed. I agree. Cindy, you moved around a lot as a child. Why? Oh, my dad is such an adventurer. So I'm originally from upstate New York, Rochester, New York, which is basically like Canada for the cold, right? (laughs) And so my dad came home when I was in the fourth grade and he said, "Um, would you like to go to Fiji? And I got to tell you, like these were before the days of Fiji water and fancy resorts and everybody knowing where Fiji was. So I ran to our living room because like a good suburban, you know, American family, we had this globe uh, that sat on the table and I spun the globe and I saw Fiji was the other side of the world. And I like ran back and I told him, yeah, I want to go to Fiji. And he goes, great, because we're moving there. And my dad was State Department. Um, off and on in his uh, in his life and career, and it kept us bouncing. So every year from the fourth grade through my senior year of high school, I changed schools. Wow. So, but until fourth grade, you were in very stable in one place. I was. I used to read every single profile of, you know, celebrities or luminaries. And one thing that almost every actor and actress had in common is that they had lived in so many places mm-hmm. by the time they left high school. Why do you think that is? 
You know, I think it's that you get very comfortable being uncomfortable. So can you imagine? You're perpetually the new kid. You show up on day one. You don't know anybody. You're standing on the outside of the room. And I think what that does is it makes you very observant and also really sort of comfortable with flexing that muscle of resilience over and over and over again. And when I look back on it, don't get me wrong. Like I went kicking and screaming. You know, I cried every time I had to leave my friends and go to a new school. Um, but as I look back on that, the, the real gift was I never was defined. You know, as a child, nobody ever defined which kind of group I was in. I wasn't the jock or the geek or the whatever. I sort of melded in with everybody. Um, and I'm really grateful for that now. I think it really is that constant change. Does that make you keep in touch with people more or less? Like, do oh, you just move on, like for, forget them? And It's a very sad statement. Bye. Sort of bye mm-hmm. forever. Like that was a little bit of a chapter. Of course, now, you know, with Facebook and social, it's been so fun to go back and reconnect with people, um, you know, through the my childhood. Did your mom work through your childhood? She couldn't. Um, so she did uh, up until the time we started doing this insane, like move, 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 move. And, um, you know, make no mistake, my mom is the boss. And, uh, and she definitely had a job in and of itself to, I think, transition me. I have two big brothers all of the time over and over again on like a 12 to 18 month cycle. She returned to work for me, which is one of the best things. I mean, I'm so grateful. I convinced my mom when I started my first business to come work for me. And um, she ran my HR group and actually a lot of my bookkeeping. And she really became the company mom. And it's the coolest thing ever. I think you guys know I nickname everybody. So my mom's like company nickname was Two Cent. And, you know, it's because every mom has her two cents on everything. And she was not afraid to give her two cents to, to me or to anyone in the company. So talk to us about your first job. I was fortunate enough to have a business professor who recognized in me this like weird obsession with businesses. <laughs> like I really liked why some businesses were better than another business. And so she would always give me extra homework. And along that path, it made so crystal clear to me who I was going to work for. And I was going to work for Fortune's Most Admired Company. And I'm telling you, it could have been anyone. It could have been IBM. It could have been Boeing. That year, it happened to be uh, Merck, which is a pharmaceutical company. And so I was just hellbound and determined. And in fact, they weren't hiring when I first got out of school. So I went and worked for another company for seven months, literally just waiting until Merck opened up hiring again. And the minute they did, I went, I got the job. I called my professor and I said, I I told you I was going to get this job. And she said, great, we're going out tonight and you're buying. (laughs) Yeah. How did you get the job? I'll tell you what I did. I researched like an insane person. I must have consumed every single thing I could learn about Merck online. I read their public filings. I read the Merck manual. I thought I had every disease as I went through it. Like, you know, I really deeply entrenched myself into the homework of it all. And I think about, you know, showing up for this very entry-level sales position. It was the first rung of the ladder you could get into. And um, and I think that the the person who interviewed me was impressed by the, the depth of research, but also slightly amused <laughs> because they'd never sort of seen it before. So they were like, we, we have to give this girl the job. Um, so that's how I got the job is really just being prepared, I think, going in and being so singular in my focus of who I wanted to work for and why I wanted to work for them. And what was that position like? Oh, it was great. I mean, it, it was, um, you know, sales 101 out in the field calling on uh, doctors at a moment in time, actually, in this industry where what was so impressive to me about Merck is they were at the cutting edge of research and development. So how fun was it that they were constantly innovating? They were breaking through in new categories, new classes of drugs, women's health. And to get to, you know, just be out there educating the clinical community besides, you know, it's intimidating. You're, you're speaking with people with much, uh, you know, deeper education than you have um, and actually becoming a partner to them in education. It was awesome. It was really, I'm, I'm so grateful for that training. I will say to you that a few years into that, I thought, wait a minute, like I'm employee 4,357 and no one's listening to all my good ideas. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and so... 
and while I'm so grateful for the training that they gave me and an appreciation of how corporate America really works, um, it was clear to me that that was not going to be uh, where I was going to stay forever. I was going to chase innovation and I was going to chase smaller. Before we jump into the chasing of innovation, which you have done brilliantly, I do wonder, you know, your mother didn't work, but you seem to have had a very clear kind of knowledge of what you wanted to do and how you wanted to get there. Who were your work idols or mentors? Like who did you look up to when you were a teenager and in college to decide to take the path that you took? You know, it's funny because my family's not really a business family. And so um, I think that my idols were the people I was reading about on pages, reading about these people who were crushing it on customer service or built loyalty or who had employees that stayed there for years. Like, what are they doing right? And so it was always consuming, I think, pa- the pages of uh, papers and people that I never got to meet, but were, all, were absolutely influencing me. Here's my mom's influence. You must have independence. And independence was money. You will have financial independence. And, um, and so we really had, while we never had the money conversation, like sitting down and teaching me how to balance a checkbook necessarily, there was always a thread of why you must be independent financially. So what made your mom so passionate about financial independence? You know, I think it was just her era and the fact that she didn't see that same access for herself. And so she was hellbound and determined that I was going to have that access. And um, she understood that, you know, financial independence for her would have allowed her to probably make a lot of different decisions uh, than she was able to. I I think it would be great for you to sort of share with everyone in the audience, everyone who's listening, what exactly happened? Because when you read about it, it doesn't do it justice. When I first met you and you shared the story, my jaw was on the ground. So when I finally made the decision in corporate, I went smaller, smaller, and I had the courage to start my own company. I started a company with one of the male sexual health drugs. I did it because it was actually a category in science that's really newish. It's emerging and there's exciting new discovery. And so I built this business from scratch and I, you know, made all the mistakes of my first company and um, and all the joy of figuring out you actually can build this to success. And I looked around and I thought, wait a minute, there's 26 FDA approved drugs for some form of male sexual dysfunction, but not a single one for women. Are we joking? Actually, more women than men have issues in the bedroom. And this science is awesome. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, finally women are going to get one. And then I look around and every single kind of big company, deeply resourced company, isn't running toward it. They're running away from it. And that was my signal to run in. So I sold off my business in men. I decided I'm going to take this on for women. We're going to cross the finish line with the first ever treatment for women's sexual dysfunction, and we're going to basically crash the door so that many more come forward. And um, that was insane because (laughs) I thought I knew how to do this having built a company with men. But guess what? All of the rules are different when you're trying to do it for women. The, The playbook was totally different. Yeah. How was the playbook different? Oh, I mean, my God, I'll give the parallel. So when Viagra was approved for men, like the watershed moment for men's sexual um, you know, dysfunction drugs, it was deemed to meet such an important unmet medical need that they rushed it to approval in six months. So now let's take our my drug, Addy. So Addy addresses women's most common sexual dysfunction, same prevalence as ED has for men. It took us six years and two rejections in the regulatory queue. By the way, footnote, we had three times as many patients worth of data. We studied this in 13,000 women. It's just that um, the path, the dirty little secret is the path will be longer and the hurdles will be higher in women's health because we're making value judgments. Talk about those value judgments. You know, I think we think about it. For 20 years, you haven't turned on the radio or your television. You haven't watched a single Super Bowl without having been told that sexual satisfaction makes for a better life. It makes you run through fields together. It makes you hold hands in separate (laughs) bathtubs, as it turns out. Who knew? But here's the punchline. If you're a man, and we're not even conscious almost that we've never received that narrative for women. And that in of itself has created a narrative, which is it does not matter. 
Sexual satisfaction matters for men. Pleasure is ours to give, not receive. And what was so obvious to me is just put the women at the center of the conversation. Why are we not talking to women who are dealing with this? And that was the ultimate maneuver with the FDA. They had turned me down. Um, it was really the death of the company. I mean, they completely controlled my fate. And it happened on a Friday. And I had done all the work. I'd met all the outcomes. I submitted my data to the FDA and I waited for approval because that's just how this works. And on the day that approval was supposed to come, I got a rejection. And by the way, my whole office, I had been away. I was flying back in to the office and they were waiting for me to come and like crack the champagne. Like the champagne was chilling because we'd met all the outcomes in the study. So it seemed that that was the natural outcome. So I get this news at the airport. My assistant calls me. I said, don't tell anybody. Just give me a minute. And I sat down and like didn't move for an hour. And I thought, I got to go in. And I went into the office. I called everybody around the table. And they're like waiting, smiling. Like, this is it. We got it. We got it. And I'm like, we just got turned down. I need you to all go home and work on your resumes this weekend. And it was devastating. Like, we were crying. You know, I went home. I, I took to the bed. I cried it out. I got up the next morning. My phone was blowing up. I didn't want to answer any of the calls. I didn't have any answers. And I happened to um, you know, go to my inbox and get a note from a woman who'd been in our clinical trials. She'd been on Addy. And she had heard the news because she was watching closely for our approval. Most people weren't watching at that time. They didn't even know about this little company. And she said, I want to meet with you. She lived in DC. It was a car ride away from me. I went up and I met with her. And she told me her story. And her story was every story I'd ever heard. She um, had a wonderful husband who she adored. She had raised these two beautiful children. She ran her own business. She was 100% in charge. Um, and she looked at me and she said, I have succeeded in every aspect of my life other than this. And I thought, there's the portrait of a woman. She actually has something going wrong medically, but she has been told by every single person that it's her fault that it's in her head, that it's hers to overcome. And I opened up my computer and I showed her brain scan imaging. So you can see this condition on brain scans. And it was totally outside of her control, right? I was showing her, it's not you, it's this. And she started to just cry. And I thought, this is why I'm doing it. Like, pull your shit together. Go figure it out, Cindy. I drove back home. I took Sunday uh, to kind of get myself together. I went in on Monday. I called everybody around the table again. And I said, um, okay, here's the decision. And they're all thinking like, okay, what are we like closing next week? Are we closing in two weeks? Like what's the wind down? And I'm like, we're going to dispute the FDA. And it was silence. And my IT guy raised his hand and he's like, can you do that? And I'm like, we're about to find out. So um, he put a pair of pink boxing gloves on my desk that day, and they're still there today. We decided to take on the government. And I did it for two reasons. Data, we had the data, and empathy. And empathy was data is informed differently looking at the people who are affected. And they needed to be talking to those women just like I was. And ultimately, we won. And now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. 
So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. So did the employees keep their jobs? They did. And then what? Because wasn't there, there's, there's a whole other chapter that we want to hear about. So we ultimately won, um, science won, women won, uh, because so many women came and shared their stories. Can you imagine at a federal agency? But they knew if they didn't speak up, it wasn't going to change for anybody. They're the real heroes of the story. And then we got approval. And two days later, I sold the company for a billion dollars cash. And it was the dream come true. They were going to march it across the globe. They were going to make it affordable in ways I couldn't. And, um, you know, it took a few months for the deal to close. The deal closed. One week later, um, that company started to crumble and they put it on the shelf. They basically, their house was on fire. Uh, they got a Department of Justice letter and I couldn't have written this movie more dramatically. And they basically walked away from the drug. So it never got launched. And I was devastated devastated. We didn't fight that hard for women to finally have one on the board for now them to not even have access to it. Um, so I went back to work. I fought them. I ultimately won. I got it back. We kept the billion dollars and now I invested in other female disruptors. <laughs> you went back to work. What does that even mean? You know, so I will tell you, get smarter as you go along. I'd sold my first company, Slate, the mail company, in order to basically make a return for investors and say, okay, now give me some of that back because I want to do this for women. And um, when I wrote that contract, most transactions have some kind of upfront and some kind of back end, right? The back end may be royalties, they may be milestone payments. And when I did that, I had that kind of structure. I had an upfront payment and this back end. Well, the back end was governed by a best efforts clause. And now you sell it, somebody else is in charge of your baby, and you're like, wait a minute, are those really your best efforts? <laughs> because my best efforts are different than your best efforts. So when I sold Sprout, that was in the first contract, best efforts. I was like, no, 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 we're going to be really specific here. You're going to spend this much money on education. You're going to have this many salespeople calling on OBGYNs. You're going to. And they agreed to it. And that is what ultimately became my leverage. So they weren't up, you know, um, honoring their half of the equation and their part of the deal, what they had contractually agreed to do. That gave me leverage to actually get it back. What happened to the, the buyer, Valiant? So can you imagine, we announced they were going to buy us in August. The transaction closed in October. In that meantime, I'm like getting ready to launch. We were launching in October. I'm building out salespeople. We've got the supply chain, like everything's going. And October comes, the deal closes. And literally like a week later, they got a letter from the Department of Justice that basically they had not disclosed a relationship they had with the pharmacy. No one knew. 
Did you already have your billion dollars wired? Cash. 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 And did all of your employees also have equity? Absolutely. Every single one. Yes. That's so important, by the way. I mean, if I could say a secret to success for, for anybody building it who's listening, give other people skin in the game. Everybody who's ever come work to me, I don't care if they packed our boxes or they ran my sales team, they have been an owner in the company alongside of me. And to watch those moments, like the transformational moments um, you know, of sales has been really the most rewarding thing of all. So we all had, thank God, um, the money in, in the bank. But they really, it was a, a $2.5 billion sale. So a billion and a half of it was structured on the back end that nobody got access to. But we got it back and now we get to launch it on our own terms. So they're they're accused of of fraud, right? Yeah. And where did that leave all of you? Oh, on an island. And um, I will say, I think, you know, we had gotten a lot of press. This was a big news story when we were approved, and the world was watching. And I was mama bear, mad as hell. What's going on? What did what wasn't I told? What is happening here? I want answers. And I think probably that wore very thin on my new acquirer. And I got a phone call one day um, from their then CEO. He was replaced actually in this process, but he called me and he said, It's clear that you don't want to be here anymore. And I said, Like hell, I don't want to be here. This is my baby. Like I immediately had a reaction to that. And he goes, Well, you're not going to be. And they cut off my email that very afternoon. So he he got rid of me as quick as he could because I was a liability. I was asking a lot of questions. I was loud. The press were in contact. I mean, that's my my side of the, the story, right? His version is his house was burning to the ground. He had $100 million brands that he had to protect. And frankly, this was the last thing in the door that they hadn't even begun investment spending on and they weren't they couldn't afford to. So tell us about getting your company back. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I, I, they got a new CEO. I sat down with him. Um, he'd only been on the job a few weeks and he's, he's lovely. And I said, okay, you're not going to do anything with this. Give it back. And I think he looked across the table like, wait a minute. <laughs> they just paid you a billion dollars for this. You can't have it back. And, um, and I said, yeah, but you're not going to do anything with it. And you have to understand, like we fought this fight for millions of women who deserve access to this. And it's not right to shelve it. It wasn't stocked in pharmacies. None of that spade work had been done. And so um, that eventually turned into maybe a little bit more contention, which is, yeah, but you owe us these things by the contract. And, um, And ultimately it was, if you'll basically go away. You can you can have it back. And getting it back has been interesting because, you know, I had to spend a little bit of time on the sidelines and think to myself, well, what would I do differently if I got it back? You know, the world keeps advancing. Technology keeps moving in all of those years. And I think I looked at a future and said, okay, the future of medicine is telemedicine. And boy, do we all know that from this last year. Right? It's like rocket fuel was put on to that. We need this ability. This is a condition that doesn't require a physical exam. And frankly, as, as much as I wish this wasn't true, it's embarrassing for a lot of women to bring this up, even with their trusted healthcare provider. So what if they could sit on their couch, have a phone call, and have it delivered to their doorstep? And so kind of the fun of you know, the, the pink lining in my world of having a time away from it and getting it back is we imagined a different path and I think a very different patient experience. And so far that's paying off. And where is it today? Addy.com. So it's A-D-D-Y-I.com. You really can speak to a, a doctor licensed in your state. It can ship to your doorstep or you can absolutely go in and ask your doctor about it and it's stocked in um, all the pharmacies. Do you think the narrative around women's sexual health is changing? Yes, I think it is. Um, so this is maybe one of my proudest stats. When we crossed the finish line in 2015, um, it was such an upside down world. And what I hoped for was not that we would be the one and only, but that all of these would come forward. In 2016, the term femtech was coined. And it's now projected to be a $50 billion category by 2025. Can you imagine? By 2025, it's going to be a $50 billion category. But here's the truth of it. Well, what is femtech? Femtech is really, 
anything affecting sort of women from reproductive years, right? Whether it be my now organic tampons that I can buy, whether it can be the fact that I've got uh, fertility testing at my fingertips. So I'm not waiting until I'm struggling to get pregnant, but I'm, you know, 25 years old and getting a picture of what my fertility journey is going to look like. And that's coming to me in a kit. Like, how great is that? I made my husband insane saying that we were going to have fertility issues and I made yes. him get a fertility yeah. test and I got pregnant like the day he got his results and he was <laughs> and the doctor was like we've never had a guy come in for fertility tests before <laughs> there's something diagnosed. I was just so sure it would take us 2 years but I do think there's there's such an opaque yeah. lining between women and their understanding and of fertility, of sexuality, of so many of these things that you're addressing. It just, and, and it's so crazy. It's what we're all going to, it's part of our human experience. And yet we don't talk about it, not candidly. And it remains this great mystery. And I think that what I love seeing is that, you know what? The medical establishment, the regulatory bodies, they waited too damn long. So guess what? We're taking power into our own hands. And I think about all of these young founders in this space in femtech. And what they're doing is they're putting power in our hands because women are the most informed healthcare purchasers in that regard. They will do all of the homework. And so why shouldn't they have all the tools at their disposal? When will we see a Super Bowl commercial for Addy? Oh, I am working on it. Actually, that was part of my deal um, my contract was that they would put a Super Bowl ad on, and that was such an important thing, and then it didn't happen. Um, so you'll start to hear about it this year, mostly through podcast advertising um, and radio, and then we'll graduate to some television, but I can't wait. I can't wait to finally have that, the little pink pill for women. Can we, can we actually talk about pink for a minute? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. You wear pink. How did that start? Why? You know, when I was, well, first of all, I have always loved pink. I'm really challenged to find a picture where I'm not in pink. Um, and pink for me is about femininity being a strength in business, not a weakness. I reject that notion completely. And I think in, in any areas in which there are stereotypes, you have two decisions. You can either sort of lean away from them and be frustrated or even it cause self-doubt, or you can just lean right toward them. And um, if you've got my personality, you, you lean right toward it. When people would say to me, oh, the little pink pill, the, all that was missing was like the head tilt and the pat on the shoulder. And I thought, yes, the little pink pill. And I would show up in like neon pink from head to toe at the FDA. And I would wave from the audience like, guess what we're going to talk about today? Hey! <laughs> um, because I think we need to address those things. Well, there is one thing that I find so admirable about your personal brand, which is the fact that you don't have to make the choices other women have to make when they get ready for a business meeting or a speaking engagement or a board meeting. You just know what you're going to wear. And so I would like to adapt that for myself. But tell us about the process. You go into a store and you just immediately try to find what's pink. And if you like it, you buy it. I mean, what is – how do you create the it, pink shopping wardrobe? Shopping is so much – it's so much easier. And do you ever not wear pink? Never. Never. Working out. So you're going everything. out to dinner with your husband. Or is he okay. is he your fiance or your husband? Fiance still. Yeah. Fiance. fiance. Okay. Yeah. So you're going out to dinner with your fiance yeah. and you're wearing pink every time? I am. Okay. You know, like there's a black element sometimes with a pop of pink. Um, but <laughs> otherwise it's mostly it's mostly pink. Yeah. Do your employees wear pink? Yes. In fact, I you know, it's funny that it's it by no means what you have to do, but pink for us is a bit of a philosophy. And I think it is what you realize when you come into our space is there's an irreverence to it. There's a, you know, underestimated to unapologetic in who we are. And so we we work beside another office with like developers and these guys are, you know, just imagine developers for a second, like really geeky, sort of introverted. And we go up and down in the elevator together and they look at us and they're like, do you have to wear pink? <laughs> and we're like, no, but we like to wear pink. And, and can I share this one story about, about pink? This made such an impression on me. So when I was out there trying to raise money for Sprout, I was laughed out of every room. 
by the way, I was showing up having built a successful business already. But this notion of female Viagra threw everybody for such a loop. I think they didn't know how to handle this woman in pink talking about this. And there was one particular investor that would have meant the world in terms of validation, like sort of the godfather, you know, in, in healthcare. And he was particularly unkind when I showed up to pitch him. Fast forward to uh, two years ago, he was sitting in my incubator across the table in a hot pink board chair. And he was still in his buttoned up, like, you know, gray suit. And he said to me, hey, Cindy. And he reaches down to his pant leg to show me his socks. And he's wearing hot pink socks. And in that moment, it was a little bit of like, I got it. And what I loved about that moment is that, you know, he really, I gave him room to change his mind. And he won't make that mistake again. And now he invests alongside of me in a lot of the pinky bitter companies. And I think right now, particularly when I talk to a lot of female founders, we know, we all know the stats, right? 2% of funding, ridiculous. Um, you know, the p- products that, that serve um, a female audience, niche, nonsense. Like it's half the population. We can keep going through these stats. So it can be very easy to get very frustrated by that or uh, very beaten down by that. And I think that when we, when we do that, sometimes we close ourselves off from allowing people to do better. And mm-hmm. if I had just cut him off forever, like you're the asshole who laughed me out of the room, uh, we wouldn't have real change, which is him recognizing it and now doing his part to invest in women too. And now for a quick break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. How do you think investors treat women entrepreneurs differently than male entrepreneurs? Inherently, they don't believe they have the chops to do it. And I'm not, that's not the Cindy Eckert um, you know, point of view. That's data that show even the difference in the questions you are asked. Uh, when you, you can pitch an identical pitch, right? All of the data. A man walks in the room, they literally read a script and do a pitch. A woman walks in the room, she gives that verbatim pitch. They're asked different questions. What happens for men is I think they're always expansion questions. Like um, they, they relate to you can do it and how will you grow it? And with women, they're always like um, problematic questions. Like you won't be able to handle it. So it's a different between like promotion and demotion sort of um, in, in the questions. And there's a great, I think it's out of pen who did the study where you can read like the differences in how they ask questions. Okay. Backing up to a question I asked about your employees a little bit. Yeah. 
You have worked with a lot of family. You mentioned you worked with your mom and you worked with your ex-husband. Yes. And my brother. And your brother. (laughs) Yeah. What was it like working with your ex-husband? We were separated actually for a long period of that time. But, you know, it's delicate when you are running these small companies and no one wants instability um, if you will, there. So we we probably kept that to ourselves for a lot longer than people knew. Um, you know, for us, the truth is our relationship was based on work. We had met at work. And um, it, for me, maybe it was the first time I, I, I felt seen um, by a guy because he understood my dedication to this. And I think we mistook professional chemistry for personal chemistry. But we, you know, we still um, interact today because he was a shareholder in Sprout. And, uh, and so we still have interaction. And I think we've just held on to the good pieces, which is we've had a lot of fun together and, um, you know, done a lot of pretty crazy things. Tell us about your fiance. Oh, he's such a sweetheart. Like he, he's the man, you know, I'm, I'm older now. Um, and I think, you know, he's the guy that I never met earlier on to know that's what it could be like. He's a fellow entrepreneur. So, you know, as I was building this company in Raleigh, I just had my head down doing the work. Like I never did anything. And so I'd heard his name around town because he was known for being so helpful with all of the startup community here. And we were put on a panel together and I sat down next to him and I was like, that's Justin Miller. Nobody, nobody told me he looked like that. <laughs> so <laughs> wait a minute. Um, and, uh, and then he started, you know, he kept in touch, but I'm thinking that every time he reaches out, he really just wants to talk business. And uh, finally, I think he confessed. I, I was leaving my office. I work with almost all women. And I was leaving the office late on a Friday night. And they said, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, meeting, I'm meeting Justin. And they're like, for a date? And I said, no, it's not a date. We're just talking. I mean, we're talking business. And they're like, it's Friday night. You're going to a bar. <laughs> it's a date. Call us from the bathroom. And of course, I get there and I go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh my God, it's a date. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a little naivete here from uh, from all of those years of just that not even being on my radar. And do you work together now? We do. Yeah, he works with me. He's really mastermind in most of our digital strategy. Your brand seems to be soaring right now, Just not just the the brand that you're building, but also your personal brand. Where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? That's such a sweet comment. Thank you for that. Um, I don't know if I ever have that same perspective. Uh, there always feels like there's more work to be done. And you know, if I look down the line, my ambition is this. I want to create a billion dollars worth of wealth for women. That's what I'm working toward. And it's really my pinkubator is all about, you know, investing in these really, you know, dr- first to market, um, these radical like changes and social catalysts, if you will. Um, but ultimately, it's the multiplier effect. How do I get more women to outcomes who are going to get more women to outcomes who are going to get more women to outcomes? So that's the ambition. Um, I'll tell you, I say that, but my every day is just wake up and do the best you can do. In 10 years, I'm going to come back to you and you're going to be involved in my obsession with getting more women investors into the mix. Yes, please. Because I think that every woman who is a vice president of a company or has a little expendable income, they should all be investing in some giant fund for women. And it drives me crazy that guys will go out to dinner with each other and they'll be like, hey, you want in on this deal? Sure, I'll put in $20,000. 100%. women never think of doing that, even if they have the money. And it just – it kills me. It oh, I'm so on. I'm sign me up for any of those uh, lectures. I'd like to give those too because it's such a. You know, I do think of it that way, and it's not an anti philanthropy. But who gives the most dollars away? Women give away the most dollars. In fact, we control most of the wealth, and that's continuing to come. So, if you think about that, why are we not investing to make more money and more money? Money is just a tool, right? And it's a conduit for good. And so go, if you can invest in somebody else to make more money, then you can give that away and then you can keep paying it forward. I'm with you 100%. I really do hope that, um, you know, you are very much leading the way in this across the country, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, And I really do hope that other women who have accumulated a lot of wealth invest in women-owned companies and do philanthropy, but that it's at least an and, that it's not an either or. 
Because too much, we see it as an either or. I agree with that. One one more question before we go into the lightning yes. round. You told us about the woman you met in DC who you yes. like inspired you to double down yes. after your drug was initially rejected. How is she doing sexually? How's her sexual health? Do you know? Great. Um, and listen, I it, and it's not for everybody. I always want to be careful, right? There's no perfect uh, panacea of a medication. It has risks. It has benefits. But I've got to tell you, it's just incredible and, and a gift to me that I hear these stories. I spoke at a conference in San Francisco in 2019. I got off the stage and a woman came like running for me. And she said, I need to talk to you. She said, I was with divorce lawyers. We were already there. Um, it had fallen apart in the bedroom. And then everything else started to fall apart. She said, I heard you on a podcast. And I thought to myself, but what if this is it? She said, I went to the doctor the next day. I got on Addy. Can I take a picture with you and show my husband? Because we stay together. And I mean, I still choke up. Like that is That's incredible. an incredible story. It's wow. incredible. And we minimize it. But you know what? This is like, this really was ruining women's self-esteem, their, their marriages and relationships. And it matters. And it matters that we talk about it. And that whether they take it or not, they deserve an option. All right. We're going to our lightning round now. You go into a boardroom, you're pitching a group of men, a man makes a joke when you mention women's sexuality. How do you handle it? What is this, the 1950s? <laughs> you didn't mean to say that. Let's move on. I love it. Uh, what are you reading? Rituals Roadmap by Erica Keswin. It's so good about you know the rituals, right, that we, I don't know, how it forms cultures and everything else. It's a great book. What is your daily morning routine? Okay, I feed pigs because I have pet pigs, and um, there's I have a laugh about that. You got to scrape the shit from your boots in the morning. And honestly, like I'm the anti everyone else that I immediately get on uh, social media, and um, and I I do that because I'm just I love all the characters in my life. I love to see what the two of you are doing. Like something about that connection and how fortunate I am uh, by all the people I'm surrounded by doing really important things. That like fires me up every day. Well, Lou always comes in with our male Ooh. perspective, and I'm sure he's going to come in with a big question for you. You are a <laughs> badass woman. You know, in the hood, we call what you did a come up. I'm in amazement. You're changing the world for women, you know, and, and I'm starting to see a correlation to how the world is treating um, women to how they treat blacks. And I'm like, and I'm like, wow, it must be really bad for a black woman. We should be ashamed of ourselves. Those statistics are less than one percent from venture. Obviously, you're doing something um, with this drug called Addy. Is any of that money now? Because this is all a come up now. Because it's yes. all profit. <laughs> <laughs> is any of that money getting geared towards that helping yes, black women? For sure. So not only through mentorship at the Pinky Bader, but also some of our investments are the most incredible black female founders. I mean, there's a, a two out of uh, Birmingham, Alabama. They run a company called Mixtros, Mother Daughter Team. You know, really, that's such an important piece of this, Lou. And even if I look at my um, employee base, 15%, most, most of my, I have great guys in my organization, um, but 15% but of my organization are women of color. And we're really proud of that because we need that diversity of thought at the table for sure. And to, and to find all those great ideas, there's people out there doing such incredible things. It's, you know what, for everybody listening, it's really good business to go where other people aren't looking. Go swoop in and invest in those opportunities. Amy, I'm I'm bowled over by Cindy as always, but I also have to say selfishly, I'm really obsessed with suddenly having a signature color. <laughs> no, so seriously, her life is so easy just because every day she wakes up and she's like, what should I wear? Pink. It's just obvious. And she goes into a store. She's like, what should I buy? Something pink. Well, okay. So Sam, what will your signature color be? Maybe it should be Park Place Green. I like part place green. I think you should wear different <laughs> shades, different shades of green though, like not one. And that's what Cindy okay. does. She wears different shades of pink. So, you know, every time I talk with Cindy, there are about a thousand like sage pieces of wisdom. But in this conversation, you know, one of the big takeaways I had was her comment that it's really good business to go where people aren't looking. And I love that, right? You know, she 
She still holds to that even though when she made the decision to do that, it proved to be almost impossibly hard because frankly, like the world didn't really give a shit about women's sexual health, but she still made it happen. And I do agree that there's something really important to to finding problems that no one else is looking to solve, but that we all have. And so I think that's just like a really great grounding place to start a conversation about what you're passionate about and what you want to do. And she said it so well. And I think, you know, for me personally, that's, as you know, Aim, that's what I've done, right? I went into a totally male-dominated industry that seemed super unsexy on the outside. Like, who wants to talk about payment processing? And we're now like the top women's company in the payment processing industry. And I think that having a vision for what do you want to change? And it doesn't necessarily need to be the shiny object that you go after. Absolutely. Look where other people are not looking. Love it. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer and editor, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Phoebe Cranefuss, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.